Hello and welcome to Horrible Health Histories, a health podcast for history buffs. I'm Anna, I'm a biology student and my special guest today is Emily. Hi guys. Would you like to introduce yourself? Not really. Do you want to introduce me? Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, Emily is not a health student. You have not done much science or I health or anything. Nothing. She does. I know that cells exist. She knows that cells exist. Okay, well, that's, um, I mean, honestly, that's a good start. That's fine. I did year 12 bio. I'm a genius. Yeah, yeah, fair. Any, any background is good background. So, this podcast, we are talking about what I think is a pretty cool science story from the past. Um, I hope you like it. So, let's get started. Our story today is about a, na- a man named Ignaz Semmelweis. Wait, you did German in high school. What's his name? Ignaz Semmelweis. How, can you spell that for me? I-G-N-A-Z-S-E-M-M-E-L-W-E-I-S. I refuse to believe that is a real name. Can no, we call him don't Steve? Be rude. It's a real name. Can we call Great. him Steve? No, we're calling him Ignaz. I think we should call him Steve. Great. Okay, so Ignaz Semmelweis. He Steve. was born... Please. He was born 200 years ago, or almost, in Hungary. He was the fifth child out of ten, and he was born to a German father who owned a grocery company. They were reasonably wealthy, pretty good childhood. Um, as a child, he was known to be curious, and when he grew up, Ignaz started studying law at the University of Vienna in Austria, but for unknown reasons, switched to medicine. Damn, overachiever. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, he, when he graduated from medicine, he thought because he'd gone to a pretty good university, he could do whatever he wanted. But um, so he applied for positions in pathology and in medicine and was rejected by both. Um, oh. So he applied to obstetrics, which was a pretty new what, area. What does that mean? Obstetrics, previously dominated by midwifery. So childbirth. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he was basically a doctor who specialised in child in childbirth and pregnancy and stuff. So basically, he didn't get into the um, areas of medicine that he wanted to. So he got a job as an assistant to the chief resident at the obstetrical clinic in Vienna General Hospital. He was in this role. He was in charge of examining the patients each morning before the professor did his rounds, supervise difficult deliveries, teach medical students, and to be the clerk of records. Now, this is important later. Clerk of records. Clerk of records, very important. So he was a nerd. Well, he did. He started off a law, switched to medicine. He was a nerd. General. Oh, yeah. I mean, fair. So um, he worked in the maternity institution. They were like, ones like that were set up all around Europe, and they basically, the aim of was to reduce um, infanticide of illegitimate children. So they were kind of charities and... Um, Basically, underprivileged women, prostitutes, the, the like, could give birth um, there with and be provided with the help that they needed, basically. The catch of this was that the women in these um, institutions were used for the training of doctors and midwives. So it was a teaching hospital. They got free treatment, and in return for that, the doctors could basically learn on them. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. 
Sounds fun, right? Yeah. Basically, there were two maternity clinics at the Viennese hospital. The, at the time, so we're talking about kind of the early to mid-1800s, um, that was one in ten women died in childbirth. Wow. Yeah. How, how many die now? I don't know. Should we look that up? We should look that up. Australian mortality rate. But that's something we should know. Yeah, to see how, how bad it was. At the moment, it is 6.3 women per 1,000 people. And how many was it before? Um, I'm going to say it was 10 women per, sorry, 100 women per 1,000 people. Jesus. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Quick, okay. quick math right there. <laughs> quick math. Quick math. Okay, so there were two clinics at this, at this hospital. The first clinic had an average maternal mortality rate about 10%. And most of these women died due to puerperal fever, also known as childbed fever. Yeah. Um, we now know that this was caused by streptococcus um, bacterium. Cock. Please, this is a mature podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> streptococcus bacterium. And at the time, the standard treatment for, for when you got puerperal fever after giving birth, you know what they did? Kill you. Bloodletting. Blood were like leeches or just they just, they just hacked you open and you just bled yeah mm. so yeah basically and women didn't survive this very often and um ignaz noticed this so the first the first clinic average mortality around 10 percent the second clinic average maternal mortality of four percent these were two clinics in the same hospital and this was well known outside the hospital and women would beg to be admitted to the second clinic over the first um, and Semmelweis described desperate women begging on their knees not to be admitted to the first clinic. Some women even preferred to give birth to the streets and to pretend to have given birth suddenly. They would rather give birth in an alley and be like, oh, sorry, it happened so quickly, than get to the hospital and give birth in the first clinic. It was that bad. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. Okay. So he was puzzled by this. Semmelweis was an observant guy, as we said. We, he was a bit of a nerd. Um... And he's quoted, says, To me, it appeared logical that patients who experienced street birth would become ill at least as frequently as those who delivered in the clinic. What protected those who delivered outside the clinic from these destructive, unknown, endemic influences? So he was noticing that women in the second clinic and even women who were giving birth on the street were surviving more than women being admitted to the first clinic. So he noticed this difference between the two clinics and he analysed all possible differences. The only major ones he could find was that the first clinic was used to teach med medical students and the second clinic was used to teach midwives only. He was, this was kind of like a puzzling thing for him for a while. He couldn't really find the reason, um, but he had a thought, of, he thought about it quite, quite a lot. And then in 1847, he had a tragic breakthrough. So his friend had died after accidentally being poked with a scalpel when he was performing a post-mortem examination on a woman who had died of puerperal fever. So That's a lot to unpack. Yeah, so he, his friend had died by basically septic shock because this cut had got infected. And um, his friend's own autopsy had shown a very similar pathology to the women dying of puerperal fever. All right. Yeah, so he connected the contamination from the cadavers, which are the dead bodies that they um, do their training on, 
to puperal fever. He said that he basically realised there must be a link between them. He proposed that the medical students carried cadaverous particles on their hands from the autopsy room, then to the patients they examined in the obstetric clinics. Jesus Christ, goddamn med students. Yeah, I know. So there's a quote from when he examined the body that says, General sepsis arose from the inoculation of cadaver particles, then puperal fever must originate from the same source. The fact of the matter is that transmitting source of those cadaver particles was to be found in the hands of the students and attending physicians. Yeah. So one thing that was clear to him at the same time, midwives did not participate in autopsies. Sexism. Well, they just didn't need it for their training. So they did not participate in autopsies. Therefore, this, this autopsy thing is obviously a link. What would a male midwife be called? Are they mid-husbands? Are know. they still midwives? I don't know. That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm not sure. Anyway, <laughs> back, back to the story. So he's noticed this link and doesn't know what it's caused by. So germ theory was, was around at the time, like talked about in history. People had kind of thought about maybe diseases are caused by things. But oh, at the time, God. yeah, at the time they kind of thought it was caused by bad air or just like, you know, general bad vibes, sin, etc. So it would he didn't have a model that really explained the link like we do now. We can say oh that the body had bacteria on it, went to the mother. So he didn't have that. He just knew that there was some quote cadaverous material. He in trying to find a solution to stop this cadaverous material transferring between the bodies and the women, he proposed the washing of hands with chlorinated lime solution. He did this because he noticed that when objects were washed in chlorinated lime solution, or bleach as we know it, they didn't have a smell anymore. And so he said, if we wash them and they don't, they don't have a bad odour, maybe we've removed and killed this unknown cadaverous substance. So he decided to enforce this in the first clinic um, in 1847. So he got doctors to wash their hands with bleach between doing autopsies and between delivering babies. And so pre-hand washing, the mortality was, the mortality in 1847 was 18.3. And then post-hand washing in June, it was 2.2%. Oh, shit. Yeah. So just in a few months of enforcing hand washing, the mortality rate had dropped dramatically. And by August, the same year, it was 1.9%. Yoof. Yeah. Pretty clear, right? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So, but the problem was other doctors didn't really believe him. They didn't think it was a big issue. And because he had no acceptable scientific explanation for his findings... Um, he couldn't really tell them why it was working. So they, they, they didn't really believe them. And Louis Pasteur came up, proved germ theory, but only a few years later did he do that. So at the time there was no, there was no explanation for it. Let me guess. Steve. Steve died before he could get recognition. Ignaz. Steve. Okay, yeah, is he, well, he did. We'll get to that later. Why, why is that such a common theme in science? Um, I think sometimes things have to come together, I guess, for stuff to be recognised. But I don't know. So basically he 
he got he was quite passionate about this hand washing thing and he wrote a bunch of letters he um was a big advocator for it but his observations conflicted with the established scientific and medical opinions at the time um and generally it was dismissed um doctors were were offended that the suggestion that they should wash their hands and um you know they mocked him for it because it was ungentlemanly <laughs> they had gentlemen's hands why would their hands carry I don't Dirt know, man. Maybe because you've been sticking them in dead bodies. Yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. So, people, people, doctors were not were not impressed by the implication that their hands were dirty, and it was not taken on board. He was let. He was met with a lot of negative um, feedback from the medical profession at the time. Uh, eventually, he was kind of disgraced because of his strong opinions about this, and he was forced to move move back to Budapest. And he was working an unpaid job in an abstract, obstetric clinic. Uh, his colleagues and his wife were convinced he was losing his mind. Then eventually, in 1865, so this is approximately 20 years after he did the first trial of hand washing, he suffered a nervous breakdown and his colleague committed him to a, an asylum. I mean, like, me too, but still. Yeah. Basically, he was so passionate about this and no one believed him. There was so much... He was right. It turns out he was right. So he died only 14 days later after being admitted to the mental asylum because he had been beaten up by the guards and got a wound that got infected. Anna, this is not a nice story. Yeah, it's not. And the, another nail in the coffin, for want of a better word, is that only a few years after he died, Louis Pasteur confirmed germ theory, proving his idea that you know, hands can get dirty and carry carry <sighs> disease. And Joseph Litter later used Pasteur's research to operate with hygienic methods and did antiseptic. And then antiseptic practice became widespread after that. Um, um, can we yeah. find a time machine and we can go back and tell him he's not crazy? I know, I know. It's, it's, it's such a shame. This should be a Doctor Who episode. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't write Doctor Who. But Why not? The thing that kind of I don't know concerned me is it to I mean hand washing was not a new idea in the eighteen hundreds. Like it's very clearly the Old Testament, the Talmud, and the Quran all mention hand washing, and hygiene is a big part of these old religious traditions. But because a few men's ego couldn't be bruised back in the eighteen hundreds. Thousands upon thousands of women died from preventable infections. Yeah, the ego ego of some men got in the way of saving thousands upon thousands of women's lives. They should pay. Mm, yeah. Uh, although, positive news, he has received some posthumous recognition. The other day I saw a Google doodle about hand washing with his dedicated to him. Wow, I'm I'm sure he's just sitting up there in the outside being like, yeah, Google Doodle. That's <laughs> what I wanted. It's pretty cool. I mean, I think especially in 2020, we definitely need to be thinking about good hand-washing technique. That is true. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, we hope you come, come back again for episode two. And thank you for listening to... Horrible Health Histories with Anna and Emily. 
Thank yeah. you. Goodbye. Bye.